Hi, I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. Hello and welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. My name is Daniel and I'm here with Pastor Troy. Dun, 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 dun. And I'm here with Haley Cheyenne Woods. <laughs> Haley Woods is back. Yes. Welcome. Yes. I'm, I'm excited. She passed the first round of screening. That's right. <laughs> and That's right. Um, now she's basically on staff. So it's now the, yep. the real question is, is when Josh gets back in town, do we tell him politely, <laughs> oh, uh, we found her replacement. We somebody else. That's right. Than you, yeah. But anyway, yeah. we'll we'll save that conversation for yeah, right. later. But uh, as far as the week of reading, what an amazing week of reading! I I mentioned last week during the podcast that if you want to jump in and just start reading at some point, this is the part where you just jump in and start reading, uh, because it is there's no boring part here to any of the scripture that we've been going through. Even the Psalms are really awesome and amazing, and the Proverbs. Uh, the Proverbs are in, if you follow the reading that we have on our website at fbcj.us, uh, if you follow that reading, like there'll only be like two verses in Proverbs here and two verses in Proverbs there, but it, but they're really meaty uh, instruction and wisdom. But in 1 Kings, we go from the, we go from Solomon being king, it just it moves so fast after that, because after the the, the kingdom is busted up and everything, and you have so much action happening uh, all the way to the introduction of Elijah and all the things that Elijah is doing, the showdown at Mount Carmel. There's, there's just so much that happened in this week's reading. Uh, and then in the Gospel of John, also so much is happening. So you have, you have Lazarus being raised from the dead. You have uh, then Jesus meeting with his uh, disciples in the upper room and so forth and, and giving some of the greatest uh, moments in in all of Scripture, uh, where you have a discourse with Jesus and his disciples. You don't have this anywhere else. You don't have this moment where Jesus takes and is talking to his disciples, and the Apostle John just gives us so much of that conversation. It's like you know when you're getting ready, when you're facing death, and you know that you've just got this one opportunity to share what's most important with your dearest friends. Imagine if you're Jesus and you're really going to make that moment count. And we have those words. And so uh, it really is uh, impacting. So I hope you'll, um, uh, I hope you have read it. But if you haven't read it, we're going to tell you what we got out of it. And hopefully it will move you to read it as well when we come back. We are back, and we are going to talk about what we learned from the Bible this week. Um, we realized that Haley was actually here at this time last year. That is amazing, so, too. Which yeah. is pretty cool. So, Haley, you want to start us off? Yeah. No, it's me. I'm no, it's Troy. I'm so sorry. Oh. You started us off last week. She started us Stop off cutting last in week. line. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I, she's she was here last year. She started us off last week. She started us off. It's time for her to stop starting. The first us off. will be last, Haley. That's right. So you get to go last. Elevating yourself. Right, right. That just makes you part of the family. We treat you. We throw you to the curb. <laughs> just like we do everybody just else. Like Josh. Yeah, just like Josh. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Here's where I was coming from. From First Kings chapter thirteen. Um, this is a. Uh, to say this is a weird. Passage is, is uh, an understatement. Um, 
it says, uh, this is a verse I wrote. It's First Kings 13, 18. He said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him, it says. First uh, Kings 13, 18. Uh, and you know, I just, uh, here's a little bit of backstory here. You have this prophet who's told to go to the king and he's going to tell him a message. He comes from Judah. He's going to the king of Israel and he's going to say to him, hey, you're disobeying God and so God's going to punish you for it. And the king is like, hey, let me feed you or whatever. And he's like, nope, I was told specifically, share the message. Do not go back the same way you came and do not take anything. Do not eat or drink or anything. So there's this guy who hears about this amazing, the miracles that are taking place and so forth that in this, in this, um, I don't want to give away the whole story to you because I want you to read it. But the, uh, but the, uh, but he says, hey, this is this is what's going on, and so this prophet encounters him and he says to him, hey, I too am a prophet as you are, and an angel spoke to me and said you are supposed to stay, and he's lying to him, and so the guy stays. And then winds up getting mauled by a lion, and, uh, and <laughs> because he didn't obey the Lord, and so then he goes. This guy who is the prophet. This is what always bothered me about this because he goes and he gets the body of the guy, uh, and uh, and he keeps it at his house or whatever, and and when he keeps his bones and so forth, and and wants to remember. Anyways, convoluted. But the but the thing is, nothing bad ever happens to the guy who lies. I mean, I keep waiting for that <laughs> satisfaction of, and then uh, lightning struck the guy or something bad happened. She bears. The she anything. bears come out or something <laughs> never occurs. And and here's what you have to take away from it, that, uh, that, there are, that there are people who are misrepresenting the truth. There are people who, actually, we have this. We have whole belief systems that are based upon people who say they had encounters with an angel or they say they have a message from God, but they're just lying about it. They did not have that encounter. Either it's one of two choices: either a demon uh, exposed this message, as, as Paul would say, uh, or it is a, um, or it's just they're not telling the truth. And and so we have to remember that when people come to us and say an angel, Paul says, even if an angel comes and shares a gospel with you that's different than the gospel I am sharing, I let that person be accursed. Um, and the reminder is that once we have the word of God, you can't change it. It can't be altered, can't be uh, gone back and revisited or, or can't be revised or whatever. We have it. And the word tells us that we have it. And so God, uh, the only way we know and understand God is through the word we have. And so we, we, we hold to that. It can't be changed or altered. So it doesn't matter who comes along with a different message. Uh, you just you don't believe it. If you believe it, it's to your own demise. It, the what the message of the story was is that uh, if we assume that others who have a word from the Lord, I don't know if you ever heard people say that have a word from the Lord, uh, we uh, they may be making it up. They be, I mean they could be fabricating a story that they uh, to help accomplish their own ends. Uh, and and most of the time uh, that is the case. A word from the Lord has to be in agreement with the word from the Lord that we already have. Uh, and so if somebody says, I've heard something from God, always go back to the word and verify that which they are saying. Uh, we don't have any other message from God except the Bible today. 
and and so don't ever receive something that you cannot uh, and and don't ever people like I, I'm always amazed that people say, well, they said it was in the Bible. It's like, well, yeah, perhaps they did. But that doesn't mean it is in the Bible. And God still holds you accountable because you can check it for yourself. Yeah. Or you can call Daniel and he'll, and he'll verify <laughs> it. Supposed to that. You know, yeah, I, it's interesting yeah. that the person held to the highest standard is the one who accepts the false teaching more so than the person who presents the false teaching. Yes. It's interesting um, to me because you would hope, I would hope that like if, somebody's lying to me that they would get in trouble and not, not to say not to say that they'll never receive justice for right. that right but um we're responsible for us yeah. like what we what we take in um is yeah is much more well and i think that uh, the king obviously was being held to a standard because he was leading the people astray mm-hmm. the people within the kingdom it was kind of like during the time of judges when you read back in judges and you see everybody yeah. doing all kinds of crazy things Everyone. and you wonder why they're not being punished you can see this breaking point in scripture where people are so disobedient on and it's and disobedient is so prevalent that judgment uh, ceases to be uh, on it because it's it's because there there's a greater judgment that ensues. We see that in the same way with in the time of Christ. It seems like the Pharisees are winning. It seems like the Sadducees are winning because of but Jesus said, you know, no, actually, you all have judgment you're because you do not embrace me because you do not recognize me you've already taken judgment upon yourselves and and that's what we have to remember it's like when you get to the point where god isn't disciplining you then you then you're under a greater judgment uh, it's like than those who are being disciplined ticking time bomb yeah like what is it he they use the bible uses the phrase like completing your sin like completion of your sin like there's there's a point where you stop being individually um disciplined and right. then then your your whole people group, your whole culture, just like had, then God's like, all right, now there's there's a point where I'm gonna just shut it all down. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. that's a scary place to be. That is a scary place to be, and I'm afraid we we're breaching we're, that. We're point. in yeah, we're, we're in we're, we're transit. Reaching, we're, yeah, we're, yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Cool. Well, good start. Very uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> as is First Kings. <laughs> yes, as is First Kings. I'm going to jump to John. Um, I also have something in First Kings, but just to mix it up a little bit. Um, this is the Last Supper uh, scene, and um, if you're not familiar with the Last Supper scene, I'd really encourage you to read it. Or look at the Da Vinci painting. Or look at there. the Da Vinci. Yes, he was. He actually took a picture at the supper. <laughs> That's right. Um, Everybody get on one side of the table. And pose. Because <laughs> yes. we all know they were sitting at a table. They were sitting at a table, yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, just a, a few verses. Thir- John 13, 2 through 5 says, um, Now by the time of the supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, so he had come from God, uh, and that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he, Jesus, got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into the basin, ba- basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a the towel tied around him. And I thought it was interesting that this section started out with, you know, this is the, wash, the classic washing of the feet story. Yes. But John starts it off with what the devil had put into Judas's heart. Like mm. we don't we don't hear about Judas again for several verses, um, but he prefaces it. And so what I kind of what kind of got me was just the the contrast between Jesus and Judas in this scene, um, where Satan had put something on Judas's heart, and then it immediately talks about what the Father had put on Jesus's heart, right? It said, um, Satan had put on Judas's heart to betray Jesus, the Father, and then Jesus said, Jesus, knowing that the Father had 
done this through him. Um, and just the, the contrasting responses and, uh, um, like Judas got busy r- running his agenda and Jesus got busy serving and loving, serving other people and lowering himself. Right. And, um, I just kind of wrote down the, a good way to tell who's put a thing on your heart is to note your response to it. Um, mm. Satan put something yeah. on Judas's heart and he just got busy. He, he got busy first of all, and he started pursuing his own gig. And then when, but when the father puts something on Jesus's heart, he immediately lowers himself and humbles himself. And, and I don't, I don't really see anywhere in scripture where God puts something on someone's heart and they immediately become like a superstar, you know? Um, and, and even sometimes God has to like poke and prod people to say, Hey, take a little bit more initiative now. Um, because when you hear from the, when you hear from the father, it's a humbling experience and not just in the experience, but like you, you seek to be lower yeah. When you hear from an alternate source, you, the enemy, the enemy you're going to be, you're going to seek to elevate yourself. Right. Um, and he's going to offer that. He's going to promise, promise that elevation. Yeah. And probably deliver quite yeah. a bit of it. Um, so, At least for a while. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. I think it's, I, I love that passage. Uh, and I know there's, a, there is a denomination that still holds that as an ordinance of the church and mm-hmm. so forth. But mm-hmm. I, you know, one of the things that we, um, we don't, I don't know how you do things at your house, Haley, but we don't wash each other's feet. We don't we don't wash our own feet uh, <laughs> on a regular basis. We um uh and I mean it's not a cultural thing. I mean then that was a thing. You had a basin, you would wash your feet and so forth because you've been up walking and your feet were nasty and so forth. So it was one of those uh, just as a since you're going to remove your sandals and then you'd clean your feet off. And it was something that they would servants do. So it absolutely makes sense in that context. When Jesus goes on to say, "I want you to do this to each other." Um, I don't think he was saying, I want you to literally wash each other's feet, or, or, but but in saying, I want you to be a servant to each other. You know, I want you to take the role of a servant in serving each other. And, and then, I, you know, every time I read through that, I think, what does that look like in our world today? How do you, how do you do that? How do you, how do you take the role of a servant? And it always is in that thing that you expect other people to do. Um, and to and and you realize how hard it is, because when you when there's something that you expect somebody else to do, to step in and do it yourself, is like uh, it's like this. I don't one. I don't want to do that, and I don't want to appear that way. I remember uh, Rich Mullins who wrote the song "Awesome God" that people are familiar with and so forth, and had a lot of other good songs. But uh, at the at the GMA Awards where uh, they were all, they have a buffet for all these artists and so forth, you know, and they all show up in limousines and they all, you know, have their fanfare or whatever, as all good Christian musicians do, <laughs> uh, like Daniel. Uh, always, always the showman. My limo's parked um, out back. <laughs> they, uh, but anyway, they were all coming, they, they had this dinner, and so they were all, so anyway, it was a big buffet or whatever. And, uh, and they were going through the line and realized that one of the people serving the food was Rich Mullins in a hairnet. Uh, and... And so when he got there, he went back into the kitchen and just said, how can I help? And, uh, and, and that, because that's how he saw this. He saw that. And you think about that. Think about how, when you go to a restaurant, how you presume that the waiter or waitress are supposed to do things, uh, how you look for opportunities for you to help them do their job or to do something for them. Uh, those things are unexpected, but those that's what really makes us, but especially when you go to somebody's home and you have the opportunity to do something that um, you, I, I remember having a deacon who was, 
uh, we make fun of deacons a lot, but there there are really good deacons out there. And I remember I was watching, we were we were talking and watching Monk on television. It was one of our favorite things to watch. Uh, and we uh, and so we we're sitting there, and I'm talking to his wife. And he reaches over and pulls my glasses, back when I wore glasses, uh, pulls my glasses off my face and leaves. We're still talking. <laughs> and then he comes back a little bit later and puts them back on my face. And we're still talking. And if I'm like, wait, wait, wait a second. <laughs> what were you doing? <laughs> and, he, and he's like, you had like a smudge on the corner of your glasses. And I went and cleaned them off. <laughs> and I thought, who does that? You know, who, who first of all, is thinking... He has a smudge, but I don't want to interrupt his conversation, so I'm just going to let you politely take him off his head, go clean his glasses, and bring him back to him. You know, this is another man doing it to another man. You know, it's like that. It's like one of those things that. Uh, but but it really taught me a lesson that you um, that we need to be always paying attention to uh, people who are uh, opportunities to serve, mm-hmm. and when it hits us, the moment it hits us, is saying that's beneath me to do that, then that is absolutely the thing that we need to uh, do for other people. I always I always think cleaning toilets are probably in the yeah. church. Uh, the one thing that people don't want to do are, or think we're above are cleaning toilets. And I think we have a tendency to, to think somebody else should do that. Anytime you're thinking somebody else should do that, then that's absolutely the thing that Jesus was mm. talking about that we need to do. Yeah, it's yeah. good. It's good. How about you, Haley? Well, I'm in 1 Kings 8, um, specifically in Solomon's prayer of dedication of the temple. Oh, man. And I think I talked about this last year, but I think I've... It's like a repeat. I think I've gained something she different. She just went back and got her same notes. Mm-mm. Yeah. There's so many people that are listening to the podcast going, oh, my goodness, this is exactly what they said yeah, last year. they're definitely going to know. We have faithful listeners. <laughs> um. But what stuck out to me was verse 27 of chapter 8. It says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I've built. Um, I think I mentioned last time throughout this whole prayer, um, Solomon keeps acknowledging who God is, um, and that's something that I've just sort of taken up in my own prayer life, um, is entering into humility whenever you pray. Um, That's something that, I see a lot in prayers throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Bible. Um, But this just sticks out to me because a lot of times when I'm going through something or um, I just don't know where to read, I go to passages that remind me who God is. um, Because a lot of times when I'm not reading or when I'm not praying, it's because I forget who God really is. Um, And so reading that he can't be contained in heaven or the highest heaven or in anything, um... And then Solomon goes on to plead that even though they've built this temple um, for God to dwell in, he just pleads and says, like, still hear our prayers. Um, And he does. And so recognizing who God is and how big he is, but that he still bends down to hear our prayers. Um, And then I think it's also important to learn from that. Like, don't put God in a box um, because we do that a lot. Um, But yeah, acknowledging that he can't be put in a box, he shouldn't be put in a box, um, yet he's still such a personal God, even though he can't be contained in everything that he's created. Hmm. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. That is an awesome passage. And I mm-hmm. uh, I was further down it uh, where he's talking in that prayer. Uh, he says, whatever plague 
or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplications made by anyone or by all your people, Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart. Yeah. And I had, I, it's one of those things you gloss over and it's like, that was something that nailed me when I thought, you know, how, how it just shows you that Solomon is so in tune with the, the spirit of God in understanding that the plagues we're experiencing, uh, when you're crying out for the plague of locusts and all these different things, and he says, you know, really, the issue is the plague that's in me. Mm-hmm. You know, the plague that's the thing that's the thing that's consumed my own heart, my own life, that is keeping me from being what God has called me to be, what God has called me to do. It doesn't matter if uh, if all the if there's no locusts in the fields, if there's no uh, COVID-19 or whatever. I mean, you think about it. Think of all the, the, the people that said when the coronavirus kept us from worshiping together. The coronavirus kept me from doing this. Coronavirus kept me from doing that. Well, think of how when there's no coronavirus, how the, it's the plague of our heart that keeps us from doing those things still. Uh, and keeps so many from doing those things all the time. Uh, that's the thing we need God to deliver us from. Uh, and and it can be some external source that's creating that, but but it is it is the plague of our own heart that we all uh, need deliverance from. And that what a, a amazing and and he is the God that is everywhere. Is it's a what a, a beautiful prayer and a reminder. I just I'm Solomon overwhelms me because I'm like, how did he have such wisdom and such yeah. connection with God yeah. and wind up in such a horrible place? <laughs> um, women. It was yeah. <laughs> <No>. shocking. <laughs> Hundreds of them. You know, I, I'm sorry, strike that. Cut that out of the podcast. Um, the, uh, my wife is watching even, uh, but uh, the um, no, it is a. Uh, it was not uh, was not women. It was he accompanied himself with idolatrous people, and when whenever, no matter how close we are with God, when we surround ourselves with people who do not know or appreciate or love our God and and they they, they distract us from uh, from our God and what we know they distract us from the truth and that's what happened to him it can happen to anybody but. yeah mm. excuse me oh yeah it's me it's me my turn I uh, am going to the uh, gospel of John uh, one verse uh, from a passage that I could read the whole chapter 11 because chapter 11 is where Jesus uh, is told that his friend Lazarus is sick. Uh, he refused to go see him, uh, and then he's dead. Uh, and so then they go to see him, and it is all about, obviously, uh, so many things. I mean, first of all, my favorite verse of the Bible, John eleven thirty five, uh, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, when when that was introduced to me. I was like, oh, scripture memory. I got, got that one. Got it. Jesus wept. Uh, so that's one for all the kids listening out there. As we know, we have such a large audience amongst young people. Children, yes. Uh, <laughs> children. All, all children, well, all the 12 and under children. Yeah. Uh, the, um, but, um, and then and then Jesus telling Mary that he is the, the uh, you know, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, I, that he is, that he is the resurrection. And that, uh, and, and so much, God is revealing so much in in Jesus bringing Lazarus back from the dead, and in Jesus even praises God for that. Um, but um, but in the discourse, Mary and Martha are struggling yeah, because they're like they're 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 this is it's such a real moment where they are like we would be. 
I know Jesus. I know if you've been, it's kind of, we look, we look at God all the time. God, I know that you could heal me. And I know you didn't. And I still love you anyway, even though you didn't heal me, even though you didn't fix my problem, even though my marriage still bites or whatever, whatever problem is we have and we ask God for help and he doesn't give us the help we want, we play that off in our mind because we're saying, because we're, we really don't understand it. We really are in our heart of hearts. If we're really honest, we're saying, I don't get it. I don't know why I'm, why you, why you let this happen. And, and so it's like, we're trying to defend God. We feel like we have to defend his honor. It's like, I probably prayed wrong. It was probably on me. I probably didn't go to church enough. Or I didn't read the Bible enough. Or I wasn't sincere enough in my prayers or whatever. Um, but this is what John says to her in, in John 11:40. He says, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? And I think about that, how powerful that is. And that he's, what he's saying is, is that I don't think I ever said you weren't going to hurt or that you weren't going to go through difficult times or that people weren't going to die or that people weren't going to get sick. But what I did say is that you're going to see glory. And, and how I can bring glory to God through everything. So whatever happens to us, he's saying to us that, and it's a tough one, because um, he's saying, do you have the faith to just simply fall back into my arms? Now, I don't know if you've ever done that experiment where you uh, where some, where you have a friend stand behind you and say, fall backwards or whatever. And, and you're, I don't know if, have you ever done that? You know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah, uh, I've been to summer camp. Yeah. Do you, do you look back? Before you do it, everyone. Do you look? Yeah, everybody. Absolutely. Everybody <laughs> looks back. Can you imagine looking back, and there's nobody there? Can you imagine looking back, there's nobody, nobody physically standing there, no voice, no nothing, and then falling back, and that is what God asks of us. Hmm. He asks us to fall back into His arms when we can't see any arms, when you can't hear a voice, when you look back and there's nothing there, and and that is what faith is. And he says, but if you do it, if you do that, then God is going to be glorified. That is where you really see uh, faith bringing maximum glory uh, to God. And the reality is Mary and Martha didn't have that kind of faith, but it was forced upon them. They were put in a scenario where, because we, we don't voluntarily do that. We don't voluntarily step in the circumstances where that, it's like, it's almost like God says, I know you're not going to fall back, so I'm just going to push you. <laughs> and there you go. And then you're falling back and you're freaking out and you're going, oh my goodness, I'm falling. And then he catches you and you're like, oh wow, God is real. <laughs> that is a, how about that? Yeah, how you? And then it's, and then all of a sudden you're praising him and so forth, but you couldn't create that scenario. You couldn't put, you didn't have the strength to fall back on your own. So, but, so he pushes you. And when, I mean, think of that. Think of, think of somebody walking up to you and you're standing there and they're going, fall back, fall back. And he goes, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And then they go, boop, push you. You know, that moment that push comes, you're not thinking kind thoughts about that person. You know, you're thinking, thank you for that. Oh, thank you for the push. You know, as you're falling back, you're going, you're screaming and thinking, what is going on? You know, and so forth. And I know you didn't mean to do that. I'm trying to think good <laughs> thoughts about you, even though I can't think good thoughts about you, you know, and that's in that rush of that moment, that's how we feel about God. It's like, what are you doing? And we can't feel good about it until he catches us. And the moment he catches us, it's it's an overwhelming thing because we didn't believe, we didn't trust, 
we weren't strong enough and and my brother's dead you know and it's like you let it happen i can't get that out of my head you you could have come and you didn't maybe you had something better to do and whatever but i'm really struggling with that and then he says and he cries because he's he knows how much it hurt and um and so he but then he he says but watch and and then he calls him back from the dead and i think that 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 you know when you read revelation and you read how people bring glory to god um how they're shouting i think that that glory and revelation that it talks about we have all the saints shouting and so forth that is the moment where we all have where it, where we finally have all landed in the arms of god and then all becomes real and you realize oh my goodness all those times i thought he was not going to do the right thing or that 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 i was going through this for nothing now i can see it all it all works out for some amazing awesome purpose and and all you can do is just shout glory to his name so hmm. yeah yeah it's a powerful powerful section and how they they even believed that he could have like it wasn't like they didn't believe that he could have saved his life right you know and that's the crazy part that's the part that i find myself like God, you chose not to do this. And and it's not that I don't trust him. It's not that I don't believe. It's just that I'm disappointed that it didn't go exactly my way a lot of times. And I do I do do that. Like when it's just, even just between me and God, I feel like I have to defend his honor yeah. in my own mind because yeah. I'm fighting myself. Like I'm, I'm fighting against this idea that God doesn't care or doesn't, yeah. you know, at least doesn't care enough to do what I wanted, you know, and... Yeah, it's, I sh- and, all, and all we have is a testimony of other people. Yeah, that it will work out, and that and the crazy part is that's my own testimony. I don't have. I mean, I've been following Christ since I was eight years old, and I'm 52, and I have not one story in which I fell back and he didn't catch me, where he didn't come, where he didn't reveal his glory, you know, in whatever circumstance was happening. And I doubted, there's so many times I doubted that would happen or whatever, or didn't understand. Um, but every single time uh, he has um, uh, revealed, revealed his glory. And, and I don't want to say that in such a way that he reveals his glory and then everything was awful for everybody involved, but God was glorified. No, God's not glorified when everything is awful for us. God is glorified when we experience joy to its fullest, when we experience his love to its fullest, when when we experience the abundant life that he created us to have, that brings him glory. So it's our, it's to everyone's benefit for God to be glorified. Yeah, that's good. Um, I'm going to jump back to 1 Kings 11. Um, and this is talking about, it's just three verses. And it's, I have a question about this in the question and answer segment. Um, <laughs> but, um, it says, King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women from the nations that the Lord had told the Israelites about, quote, do not intermarry with them and they must not intermarry with you because they will turn you away from me to their gods. Solomon was deeply attached to these women and loved them. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and they turned his heart away from the Lord. And it's that phrase, deeply attached to 700 wives and 300 concubines. Honestly, though, like, and so I'm like, Solomon was deeply attached to 1,000 distractions in his life, right? And, um, 
And I'm like, how I'm reading that. I'm like, how is that possible? How are you deeply attached to a thousand distractions? And then I, I realized I do that all the time. You know, I, I don't mean to like to hyperbolize that. I, I, but like genuinely I I go through seasons um, where I'm just jumping from distraction to distraction to distraction. And I can't enjoy the one distraction because I'm already thinking about the next one. And, And then I'm like three distractions in advance and I'm really not living where I am, much less focusing on what God's doing in the moment. And, and I don't know, I, I just, I proved the possibility of Solomon's, um, error, his folly here. Um, and, and you, you had kind of, you had started to kind of mention this section earlier, but that's, that was, that was my second one. And I just, I, we give Solomon a hard time, but man, we do, we may not marry a thousand women or whatever, but we, we give our hearts to stuff. Yeah. What runs through a guy's mind when he thinks that's a good thing? Oh, I know it runs through his mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know, but I'm, Okay, a hundred. A hundred. Yeah. How <laughs> but, do you? But how, I, str- how do you I get to a thousand. You know, yeah. I, I think Anna and I have a really good marriage, right? But I know that I don't always make her happy. How did he think that he could keep a thousand women <laughs> happy? Surely. He was wise enough to know that wasn't possible. <laughs> <laughs> but he was deeply attached. It's so. true. There's that. Yeah. <laughs> he liked him. Anyway, that's that's really all. That's all I had. Just mm-hmm. the the comparison. Well, back to Haley. Haley. Mine's in Psalm 69, um, 22 through 28 specifically, but it's also like pretty general in the Psalms um, where we see a lot of David or the other psalmists asking for justice um, for his enemies or evildoers. Um, And I was having a conversation with somebody about this passage, and um, I think it's important to realize that whenever you think that everybody's against you or you see so much evil in the world, it's okay to be honest with God and ask him to stop that evil. Um, But it's like, how do you get to a point where you don't seem high and mighty um, or you're asking in pride, thinking that you're so much better than these other people. Mm. And I think the reality is like, whenever you approach things like that in prayer, asking God to end evil, recognizing that he wants it to end too. Um, that it's not just you seeing this evil. He sees it all in a lot more abundantly than we could ever see um, just around us. And so, um, again, approaching prayer and humility, recognizing that God wants to see the, the evil end just as much and a whole lot more than we do as humans. Um, and then recognizing the own, like our own evil in our hearts, that um, we still have that. We're not better than all the evil that we see outside of us. So yeah, interesting how scripture like has us walk a tightrope of you know because you have that that story in the gospels that Jesus is like you know there's this guy the sinner this publican and this mm-hmm. Pharisee they're like and the Pharisee says God thank you that I'm not like the sinner and then mm-hmm. Christians are like thank you God that I'm not like that Pharisee <laughs> and it's and so we yeah like you said we don't want to be that mm-hmm. but at the same time we man we hate injustice and man we hate. Yeah things that are bad in the world, but, and we want that to end. And then we're like, okay, plank in my own, you know, so like we have all these Bible verses clouding our brains. And, um, I think you're right. It's just this, this attitude of humility, like know that God wants the same, that the Holy spirit speaks on our behalf when Mm -hmm. we pray, like, yeah, that's so important. And James says that, you know, about how important it is for us to humble ourselves before God and, 
when we uh, obey him and and how we a, a person who really wants to follow Christ humbly receives the word you know and that's that's the thing that we uh, when we get to a point where we do not want to listen or hear a person who's humble before God is is looking for an answer you know is turning to God searching for that I, I I think that our lack of reading the word or lack of spending time in the word or meditating upon the word is always connected to our pride that I don't that we just think I don't need it. Mm-hmm. A person who's humble before God has to turn to the word because they don't have any confidence in their flesh. So yeah. awesome. Okay. Well, we are going to break for just a minute and we will come back with some uh, some questions. So we'll be right back. back this is the part where we ask impossible questions and hope for possible answers um Haley Haley and I each have a question do you ladies first sure okay um in John 11 24 when uh Jesus and Martha are having this exchange about Lazarus it says Martha said to him I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day how does Martha know about the resurrection on the last day. That was actually a uh, a common belief amongst the Jewish people. Uh, when you look at the in the Old Testament, uh, I know you've heard. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this expression about the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That is why they are so sad. You see, mm-hmm. um, uh-huh. that little mnemonic device we use. But uh, but the, that also reveals something that because they don't the the fact. They don't believe in the resurrection is because they held primarily to the Torah and they just stuck with that, not really giving authority to the book, uh, the prophets, uh, and uh, in the wisdom literature. Within the wisdom literature and the prophets, you have most of the discussion uh, about uh, resurrection and afterlife and eternity and 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 so forth. Uh, David uh, believed that he would, the son that he had died, that he said when his son died, he says, you know, I won't see him until I go to join him or whatever. So there was this idea of resurrection, a theology that was, uh, so when so when Jesus came on the scene and was teaching resurrection, the Pharisees were like, oh, he's in our camp. So he's, in fact, Jesus really was in there. If you were going to put Jesus in a religious uh, denomination, he would have been a Pharisee because he would have concurred that the, the Pharisees believed that if you wanted to usher in, that the Bible taught that to usher in the Messianic age required God's people turning to righteousness, that, that they would seek to be obedient and so forth, and that God would respond to that obedience by ushering in the Messiah, and so or the Messianic age. And so they were trying to live, they thought they came to the conclusion that the whole nation couldn't do it, but that a representative group of the nation could do it, and therefore God would usher in the Messianic age because of their righteousness. They were correct in that someone would do it as a representative of the nation. It just wasn't them, <laughs> and the the representative was Jesus. So uh, and, uh, and that, but his teaching about the but the teaching about the resurrection and so forth those were already things that were being circulated in that period of time and he's and he is clarifying it so that was if you're looking in through the gospels there were a lot of things that he, he would say things like you have heard it said 
but I say to you. And so there was a lot of teaching that was going forth, and he's saying, all right, you, you were close. <laughs> you were Here's the road you were going down. Now let me clarify what that is. And in this part, they did believe that at the end of the age that there would be a resurrection. Jesus is saying, Mary, Martha, I am the resurrection. You know, it's like, it's not something that you're waiting for to come at the end of the age. It's something that I, that is in me. I give the power of life. And that's, and he said that I am life. You, I can speak it at any given point and death is conquered. People come back to life. Let me show you. <laughs> and then the, and then the illustration is Lazarus come forth. And so a man, they clearly know was dead. And obviously he'd been dead for four days. They even said, if you remove the, the, the tomb, uh, the cover to the tomb, it, it will smell and so forth. Four days was, uh, kind of the, the, uh, the, they knew that, uh, within three days, it was suspected we could bury somebody alive and he could still be, able, uh, and, but after the fourth day, eh, you're pretty dead. Um, <laughs> we know, even if you were alive when we buried you, now you've been bound with no water or food for four days. And so you're, uh, or and oxygen deprived, uh, you're, you're dead now. Um, but, uh, but so they were confident he was dead and he was dead, but that's why that four days is so important because that's what they needed to know that he was for sure confirmed dead. But Jesus is simply saying, Hey, look, I, uh, this is not, uh, you, you have this understanding that, uh, and, and I think we say that. I, I think we actually, fall, even though we have the revelation that Jesus gives at this moment, we fall into the same belief trap that Mary and Martha fall into. We go to a funeral and we comfort each other by saying, well, I, you know, I know that, uh, you know, at the end that we're all going to, and that, that, I think that's a common uh, a common Christian thing, and what we what we call nominal Christianity, I think people believe that when all things are over and said and done, that we all go to heaven, we have some type of resurrected form or something. Yeah, First and, Thessalonians four eighteen says, encourage each other with these words. Yeah, and so he, but Jesus is saying, when you're at the funeral, you need to know if I wanted him to get up out of the casket, I can do that. Um, there's there's not the, we have this illusion that death wins and then we hope for everything to happen magically at the outcome. But Jesus is saying, no, I want to show you right here and right now that I am who I claim to be, that I am, that I do have this power, that it's not faith in a, in a mystery, that, that it's a, that it's a reality. And, uh, and, and, and we have a hard time connecting uh, reality with the faith that we have. It's easy to say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. I believe we go to heaven if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. It's harder to believe that those are, you know, I'll say that to people when I'm sharing the gospel with them. I said, do you believe Jesus is alive today? And they'll say, yes. And they'll say it without thinking about it. I go, I want you to think about it. Do you really believe that Jesus right at this very moment is in a physical form somewhere in this universe? that he literally could walk in that door and physically be here. And then they pause for a moment because it's like, mm, yeah, yeah, I guess maybe, yeah, sure. Okay. But because that's, that's a little bit different. And, and that's the reality that he, that when he resurrected from the dead and ascended to the father, that his body that he has, he still has that body and he's still alive today. Why is that important for us to believe? Because that's what we're holding. That's our faith 
for what's going to happen to us. You know, that that's, I believe that I will have a body that won't ever wear out or die or whatever. And so he's the first fruits of the resurrection. If he isn't real somewhere, then what hope do I have of having that? If he doesn't have it, then I definitely don't have it. Um, and so those are very important things to embrace. And so that's what Jesus is clarifying for Mary and Martha in that moment. Awesome. Yeah, good, cool. good, good question. Good answer. Um, I had a question, mm-hmm. and um, it, it has to do with like hyperbole in the hyperbole. Bible. Hyperbole. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, and it's just, it's just a liter- literature term for mm-hmm. like uh, kind of exaggerating mm-hmm. um, a fact right. to make a point. Um, and and so my first question, given is that um, given like all the different kinds of literature that the Bible is made of. Mm-hmm. Is hyperbole? Can we find hyperbole in the Bible? We can. We can. I and I'll just give you one example that's very clear. And Jesus did it, so that makes it like makes it okay. That, that makes it yeah. okay. Yeah, exactly. When Jesus says, uh, "If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Go. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out." He doesn't really want you to pluck out your eye. If he we believed really, that, <laughs> then right. then you should absolutely, absolutely. If he's not speaking with hyperbole, then uh, hyperbole is when you're exaggerating something to make a point. Uh, and he is not literally saying to cut your hand off. He is not literally saying to pluck your eye out. I think we all know that. I hope so. I don't see a lot of no-eyed Christians out there. <laughs> a lot of glass eyes out there if, uh, if that were the case because my right eye has offended me and I haven't plucked it out because I, I do believe he's using hyperbole there. And uh, he did, uh, uh, and he does. So that, that's, that's one example, but there are many examples through Scripture. And and the point is that you use that language to uh, to emphasize the point. So, yes, we do look for it through Scripture. It is, uh, in the Old Testament, it's a little bit more difficult to grasp, because, uh, but it does teach us something. I think it's important when we look at Revelation uh, to understand that there's the use of hyperbole, and uh, and when you're when you're using it, when you see it as a literary device, it takes a little bit of effort to say, okay, is this something he wants us to look at literally, or is the use of hyperbole here? And mm-hmm. uh, we have to be very careful to make sure that Scripture itself. Uh, that you look at how the context of what's being said, uh, the things that precede it, the things that follow it, other examples of scripture kind of lend to that, yes, this is exaggerated language. Yeah. So so like the section I read earlier about the thousand wives brought this mm-hmm. to mind um, because yeah. um, it's not that I it's don't think it's possible yeah. to, have, to, to have something like that happen, but the numbers were pretty exact and very yeah. interesting based on like, Hebrew numerology, just to have exactly 700 and exactly 300. Right. So I'm not. So is it possible to have an, a hyperbolic view to that, but not mess up the integrity of the? It, it absolutely is. I. It, it's important to, uh, in that context, it's important to remember he absolutely could have had 700 wives yeah. and 300 concubines, if we found some type of documented evidence that he literally had. 223 wives and 111 concubines or something like that would it be would it make the text in error would it put the text in error or would it make it fallible and the answer would be no uh, because yes it's within the realm of uh, the Old Testament writers to use hyperbolic language again using the symbols of seven and and, and times a hundred hundred being a lot seven being perfect and multiplying those two numbers together to come up with a number <clears throat> again that's done I believe I believe that's the 144,000 in 
Revelation is not 144,000. Yeah, I think a it's good, 12. Yeah. I think it's done 12 times 12, 12, 12 tribes, whether you use the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, multiply that together, you get 144,000 being a number that represented a lot. So 144 times 1,000, 144,000 means the entire church. Um, uh, Old Testament and New Testament. If you take it as, and there's all types of different ways you can take those numbers and uh, and, and and have meaning in it. Uh, I think it's it's reflective of the inclusiveness that it is everyone. It is the whole body of Christ. Mm. Uh, and um, and I, I don't think I'm far outside the boundaries of, of the language of Scripture. I know people freak out over stuff like that sometimes, but. Uh, but again, the, the Jesus example is what you hinge on. Yeah. Because he clearly is using hyperbolic language. And so we know it's there. So then it's a question of, well, where else is that right. being employed? And we can hold those loosely also. Yes. In those examples, we need to show grace to one another yeah. as, we're, as we're trying to come up with an interpretation. If you chose to take it literally, um, if you took the gouging your eye out thing literally, I would pray for you. Um, but uh, my eyes they, aren't worth much anyway. <laughs> but I, but if I, uh, but if I take other passages, if you say I think this is literal, and I say I think it's hyperbolic, I think I think as long as we aren't aren't altering the the message or the intent of of the of whatever we're talking about in scripture, that, uh, that that's the key thing. I think there. That's why we have uh, primary uh, essential doctrines and so forth that we just don't touch. Uh, such as the resurrection, such as the deity of Jesus Christ, such as uh, the non-negotiables. And those are the things that we have those primary things. And then you have secondary issues that what we are, are essential for our fellowship with each other, meaning I can't in good conscience worship with you or be a part of the same church if we don't agree on these things. And then third, you have tertiary, what we call tertiary issues, things that we can disagree on. And, uh, and Solomon's wives, that would be a tertiary issue. Yeah. I, it's not really essential for what we, uh, us having fellowship or how we practice church. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, listeners. And we will get back with you next time on Understanding Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast. If you would like more information on Understanding Jesus or First Baptist Church of Jackson or would just like to submit a question or comment, then you can call the church office at 573-243-8415 or you can email us at office at fbcj.us. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.